chapter 9, moving our way. We're in a complete Acts 9 today, I think quite comfortably. Um, this is where we left off last week in Acts 9, verse 19 to 22. So I'm going to reread this and just kind of get uh, our pace back up as we're examining well, this, this guy, Saul. This guy, Saul, if you remember. Why, as the slide there says, a new life in Christ. It's awesome because Saul, he was zealous for the old ways, zealous of the ways of... Um, of the old Judaistic ways, you know, Judaistic. He was a Pharisee. He was um, well taught, well brought up, you know, from the, the that right family, you know, and he um, intelligent, you know, um, able-bodied, able-mind. He was gifted, but yet he was persecuting what God was genuinely doing. You know, he didn't really understand what God was actually really genuinely doing. And, and what he was doing is he was building his church. So Paul, in his, in his ignorance, as he said himself, in my ignorance, he persecuted the church. He didn't know really what God was doing. He might have been smart when it comes to the books, but he wasn't really in tune with what God was doing. So he decided to persecute the church. And he was a big advocate for the persecution of the church from day one. But he changed as he went to Damascus, on his way to Damascus, to persecute the church. He changed. He met Christ. And his life changed. So in verse 19 in Acts 9, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Interesting, because in Acts, this is, I believe, the only time that Jesus is actually referred to as the Son of God. You know, here he is. You know, not just, this is something about Jesus. He's not just a prophet, not just an ordinary man, not just a good guy like you or I, he's the son of God. He's a gift. He's, he's born of the nature, of the character. He's one in, in nature, in, in deistic, divine nature with God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked him, isn't, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? Yeah, Jesus, this Jesus who you say is son of God, you wreaked havoc on all those who actually liked him and called upon his name for salvation. You're, you're, what's going on here? But yet, you know, hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And like we hinted on yesterday, you know, a big part of how he proves it isn't just by the words he says, but by the life he lives. He was a changed person. The fact that he was so against Christ, but yet his encounters witness his testimony of Christ. You know, it changed him. You know, it, it just made him a new person. And, and a part of that is the proof of knowing the Messiah. The words, the, ar the arguments, but also there's the, there's the life change. Next slide, please. But Paul, like some of us, when you have a, an amazing encounter with God's, 
Sometimes, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Oh, I met God. It was amazing. But yet, then sometimes we want to just kind of go back to life as normal. And sometimes I think that's not the right thing to do. I think sometimes when you have a great encounter with God, it's good to take a little break, to have a retreat, to let things soak in, to allow the change to solidify. You know what I'm saying? You know, sometimes we're so quick, like, oh, I experienced God. Church was so amazing. Yeah, great. Okay, now back to normal. And you kind of forget about it. And because our brains are programmed in such a way, if we don't really sit and reflect and let things process, we can forget what God just done. And so for Paul, he spent some time processing. And I think it's noteworthy. In Galatians 1, starting in verse 13, it says this. For you've heard of my previous ways of, of life in Judaism. Of course, this is Paul or Saul speaking here. How I intensely, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. We already looked at this last week, guys. Remember talking about how Paul and how he was before he was converted. But he was converted. He changed. So this is the change. This is the radical encounter with God. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human beings. So rather than going and talking to folk about it, he wanted to get out of here. He wanted to just let what God did to him. Because what God did to him was clearly an act of God. And he says, I, I, I don't want to be tainted. Because look at Paul's experience. He was already tainted by the ways of the Pharisees and the Judaism. He was already like, I've already heard, I had enough input from the scholars of my day. If God really reached me and God did this thing, then God can continue to do a thing in the desert. And that's exactly what we did in verse 17. He wanted to, to have no one taint his experience with God. So I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. So this is the only, I believe, the only indication of Paul's little retreat in Damascus. We don't hear of. He was in Damascus and he went to Arabia. Why Arabia? Now we know he didn't go there to preach. Well, I believe but he didn't go there to preach. Because when, when Paul started his active preaching missions ministry, he went to very busy cities. He went to metropolises all over the known world. He went to very highly populated areas to reach the gospel. But this is unique because he went to the desert. He went to the middle of nowhere. So again, after an encounter with God, it's always good to take some time out to just reflect, to let it process. Next slide, please. But then, Arabia, back to Damascus. Paul thought it might be a good idea. Well, Paul, Paul gets his, potentially gets his butt kicked here in Damascus. So he'll have to flee. And so he thinks, okay, I'm going to be persecuted in Damascus. I'm going to go back home to Jerusalem where it's safe. But that's not such a good idea either. Let's just read it. So Acts 9.23 says this. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. Targeted him. You know what? You came here. You see the irony? You came to, to Damascus to kill the Christians, but now you become one, and now you are the targets of persecution. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So... 
different. He walked in proud. Well, no, no actually he walked in blind. <laughs> he thought he was going to walk in Damascus proud to persecute the church. But he walked in blind and humbled. And he's leaving Damascus humbled, sneaking out in a basket, you know, like a bit of cargo. So then he leaves Jerusalem thinking possibly this is a good opportunity for him. They don't want him in Damascus. Maybe they will want me still in Jerusalem. They used to like me in Jerusalem. Let's see. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But this guy Barnabas, I like Barnabas. We shouldn't even have our children Barnabas. It means son of encouragement. Isn't that cool? So if they're son of encouragement, I need one of my children Barnabas. Does that mean I'm encouragement? Because they're the son of, I don't know. I think it speaks of their, their, their character, the personality. But Barnabas was a very encouraging guy, and he was such a big help for Saul, soon to be called Paul, in his ministry. So Barnabas, he believes in Saul's conversion, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and how he, in Damascus, he has preached fearlessly. I, I, I highlighted some of these terms here, these these. these Adverbs or adjectives or whatever. Adverbs and adjectives, you know, together. Preached fearlessly. That's what he did in Damascus. He, this is a something, this is Paul's heart. He was so zealous, you know, but he was zealous in the, in the old ways, in the wrong ways beforehand. But now he's zealous for Christ. He's like, that's it. I'm preaching. He's preaching. He's fearless. In the name of Jesus. And then also we see in verse 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly. So he was free in Damascus for a while, preaching fearlessly. Now he's got some freedom to walk about in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, both about Jesus. Both these things are about Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord. Next slide. But his time in Jerusalem will be cut short as well. In verse 29. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Now, here's some irony in this as well. Do you remember who killed Stephen? He was preaching, and he was trying to convince the Hellenistic Jews. Remember, that was the whole issue. Remember the Hellenistic Jews and the, and the problem with the table and whatnot? And then he went and he started talking to the Hellenistic Jews, and, and they decided to stone him, and Paul was there. So it's funny, because Paul was originally, when this conflict with Stephen and Hellenistic Jews... Paul was on, or Saul was on their side, and he was an instrument of Stephen's death. But now it's Paul's turn to get persecuted by the Hellenistic Jews. So they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. This is interesting. Got rid of Paul, got rid of the big mouth, big preacher boy. And there was a time of peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And, but the church needed this, I think. They needed to be strengthened. They needed to pull together and, and strengthen themselves. You know, you can't be persecuted all the time. You need to have a time of relief to be pulled together. And so I think when we have times of peace, we need to pull together to strengthen. You know, not to grow, you know, atrophy, but to become strong, to enjoy the peace, take advantage of the peace. Living in fear of the Lord encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. We're going to see Saul again, okay, guys? We're going to see a lot of Saul <laughs> in Acts. 
effect. As soon, as soon as we get into his, his missionary journeys, it's really about him traveling about, preaching the gospel and encountering people and the people he's traveling with. So we'll see Saul again very, very soon. But I think it's time at this point, next slide, to, to enjoy some, some maps. We all enjoy a good map from time to time. So just look at what we've just seen. First of all, let's go back to Philip, just so we can see the area. Okay? So Philip, his travels. He went to, from Jerusalem. Remember the dispersion of the, of, of the disciples? Okay? So you see Jerusalem there, in the, kind of in the middle bottom? And then he went up. They say down, by the way, just to let you know. When I say up and down, I think of it in terms of north and south. But when, in this area, they talk about up and down, they speak of in terms of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the Mount Zion, okay? So it would, you would always go up, always go up to Jerusalem. So if you can be, you can be up in, in, say, Caesarea, and you're going to go up to Jerusalem because you're going geographically up. You can be in Gaza, and you can go up to Jerusalem. So whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. And if you're going away from Jerusalem, you're always going down. So that's what the Bible will say. So we'll see up and down in the Bible. That's why. But when I say, when I'm looking at a map, I'm thinking in terms of north and south. So just to let you guys know. So he started in Jerusalem, went up to Samaria. Remember he was, had a successful preaching ministry and all the disciples went up and, or well, three of the apostles went up and, you know, authenticated the ministry of Philip and brought the Holy Spirit to the saints there, the believers in Samaria. And then all of a sudden he went down to this desert road which connects Jerusalem to Gaza. And that's where he met the Ethiopian. And he witnessed the Ethiopian, explained the scriptures, and he was baptized. And then he teleported to, to Azotus there. I think I'm saying that right. And then he made his way, traveling from there up to Caesarea. And so he likely went through these two towns there, or cities there, um, uh, Lydda, or Lydda, and Joppa. Okay, so that's Philip's. Just think about that's what Philip's encounter with that area. Jerusalem, Samaria, down between Jerusalem and Gaza, up, and then up, up, all the way to Caesarea. Next slide, please. We're not done with, with Bible maps. Um, fun. So then here's Paul. I want you just to get a grasp of how many, how long. This could have been several months, actually. Because, I mean, look at, the, look at the amount of space that we just read that Paul actually traveled. It was quite a significant amount of travel going on here. So this takes time to travel. So we know he made his way from Jerusalem up to Damascus to persecute it, meets the Lord, spends some time in Damascus. Then he goes somewhere out there to the east, somewhere in Arabia, right? Spends some time there. We don't know how long. Comes back to Damascus. Gets, he, you know, evades Damascus via basket. Travels back down to Jerusalem. And that takes some time to move down to Jerusalem. That was a good idea to go to Jerusalem, but listen, he spent some time there, but then he's, now he's going to be killed, so he has to leave. So the disciples say, okay, come on, Saul, you got to get out of here. We, we need you alive. <laughs> so they take him to Caesarea, where we last saw Philip going to, and he spends some time there, but then ultimately they take him all the way up to Tarsus, which I believe is modern-day Turkey up there. It's definitely, I mean, he definitely makes his ministry up there through, you know, um, it, it's, it's part of the, you know, the, the old Roman Empire. Uh, that's why Tarsus, yes, that's where he was born. If you, you'll know later, learn later on that Tarsus was, was actually a, a Roman citizen. And the reason why, because he was born in Roman territory. 
That's where he was born, Tarsus. That's his home, hometown. But he'll make his way down to Antioch eventually. So, so that's, that's from his travels. Next slide, please. And now we're going to see Peter. Might as well, since we have the map up, look at where Peter's going to go. Because we're going to see Peter now at this point. Peter, he, as you remember, went from Jerusalem up to Samaria. You know, where, he, where they, they, they prayed to the Holy Spirit to enter the, 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 the work of the Samaritans. But then he spent some time up there. And he went to these two towns that we already know Philip passed through and preached at. So maybe he's there following, maybe he just follows Philip around just to kind of, <laughs> all right, Philip's all right, you know, he's cool. You know, he's preaching the real Jesus, you know, now have some Holy Spirit. So he goes to Joppa and Lydia, or Lydda, Lydda, whatever you say it. And that's where we're, that's where we're at just, just now in Acts 9. So next slide, please. So Peter. And we have a couple miracles as well. It's always nice to have some miracles. And again, it authenticates the work of what is going on here with, with these apostles and these disciples as they're preaching Jesus and as they're doing the work of God. God's with them, and God's doing some pretty amazing things. And one of this is this miracle. We're going to see two miracles, a miracle of Aeneas, and we're going to see a miracle of Dorcas in a moment. But first, we're going to start with the miracle of Aeneas. In, in, in Acts 9, starting in verse 32, it says, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people. Okay, the Lord's people, so we can already see or assume that, 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 that Philip, in his journeys up to Caesarea, stopped and planted a church. He evangelized, and people were believing, and they were meeting, and they were like, what's going on here? Jesus, amazing. So he went to go visit them, the people who already existed there. In Lida, Lida, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's modern-day Lodz today, which is... I think where the Israel's international airport is, just north of Monterey Law. And by the way, if you want to look at some crazy history, look at the history of that city. It's pretty wild, pretty, pretty wild. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. So something happened to this fellow. Okay, he wasn't born this way, but something happened to him. Maybe he was injured. We don't know. Maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's purely physical, we don't know. But for eight years, he was bedridden. He was stuck in a bed, paralyzed. And then, Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. And immediately, Ananias got up. And all those who lived in Lydia, or Lydda, in, in Sharon, that's the area, saw him and turned to the Lord. So here's Peter, you know, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, we've already seen him declare at that man by the pool in Bethsaida to, 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 to stand up. Or he, yeah, he was lame, that's right. And so we've already seen him do a miracle like this. And so he was familiar with miracles like this. But we're going to see in a moment that there's another kind of miracle that I think kind of took Peter by surprise. But this stand up, walk. I've done this before. You know, he says in Jesus' name, stand up and walk. And this man gets up and he walks. Just, 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 just a side note, because we're, we're getting into a new phase in the history of the church. And this is where things will start to get interesting, guys. This area where he's at right now is heavily mixed with both the Jews, you know, Jews, mixed Jews like Samaritans, but also Gentile people you know, proper not Jews, and some proselytes, which means people who are converted to Judaism. So we're going to get see more and more mixes of different kinds of people as the gospel goes out. 
Um, so we're now on the cusp, really, of the, of the gospel being poured out upon the Gentile people. Acts 1 says, but you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. You'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see, we're starting to see this unfold. Also, Jesus said in Matthew 29, 8, 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we already know what the mission is. It's not just to be self-contained in Jerusalem for, you know, for the Israelites for, or for the Jews. This is supposed to be for the whole world. This is God's love being poured out upon the whole world. He said, start here, but start to make your way out. And I believe the part of the persecution was to get people moving. And we're starting to see this unfold. People of all the world are starting to hear about Jesus. Next slide. So then we have this other person, Dorcas, in verse 36. So he goes to Joppa now, which we saw earlier on that map. is just, you know, it's like a sister city. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Um, doesn't say this here, but if you look into a, you know, a name, Greek, Greek, Greek language, or even Arabian, Tabitha is an Arabian name, it means a gazelle. And, you know, I was making some jokes about that yesterday at the park, and I apologize for that, you know, calling the ladies Dorcas because they're like gazelles. But then again, you think about, if me and Danny have another girl, I just think about calling her Dorcas. That's a great name. Wouldn't that be great? Dorcas. Yeah, a gazelle. But I don't know. I mean, if she has my legs, she'll definitely be like a gazelle, you know. Note to self, cut this bit out. On a rant. You can tell I've got extra time. I can, I can talk nonsense for a little while. So here he is. Okay, this, this girl. This is, this is actually quite a sad story, but also really wonderful because this story, I think, has puts Peter in a completely new place that he's never been before. Now, we expect Jesus to raise people from the dead because Jesus is, well, Jesus. And certainly we can't do things that Jesus does because he's Jesus. And we know Jesus, wrote, you know, he called out Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus died. He called out to Lazarus, you know, from the dead, from a dead person. Now, healing, and I say this tongue in cheek because I've never healed a paralyzed person, okay? I never have. I wish I, I mean, I prayed over people, like my son, who we thought was going to be paralyzed. So maybe in that sense, we have seen a healing, okay? You know, maybe not as exciting as what Peter experienced, you know, with this quick get up type of stuff. But, but now God's giving him a, a new opportunity. And he could have made an excuse here and say, oh, I don't heal dead people. Jesus did that. That's what Jesus, that's, I don't want to step on Jesus' feet. That's too much for me to handle. Sometimes we might feel that way at our own personal ministry. Oh, I don't want to do that. I, I want to stop here. I feel comfortable doing this kind of ministry. But that kind of ministry, no, nah, that's for someone else. Peter is going to be challenged, I believe, in this, in this respect. Because here, as he's in Joppa, you know, he hears about this, this girl, this lady who's a believer. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Verse 37. And about that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. So basically, she's prepared for burial. Okay, the, the, she's dead. Her body was prepared, was washed and cleaned and, and, and placed in an upstairs room for burial, for a, a, a ceremony. And 
and Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was close by in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him to come at once. So I can see Peter. Oh boy, this ministry opportunity. I think it's a little bit out of my hands. Okay, I'll go and I'll comfort the family. But okay, I can at least do that. I mean, I'm, I know I'm assuming here, guys, but I'm trying to put myself in Peter's feet because talking about the ultimate, you know, awkward ministry opportunity, you know? I'll go and I'll be there for the family. And that's it. <laughs> but, but don't expect too much from me, God, because I'm not Jesus. Jesus heals people like Lazarus, but I can't heal no one. Again, I know I'm assuming here, but please, I'm trying to like visualize it because I know what it's like to have these, these fears, and these doubts. So Peter went with them and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the windows, I'm sorry, stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Next slide, verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. See how different his attitude? It was no like, get up and walk. I know how to do this ministry. I I can do the get up and walk ministry. But at this point, he's a little bit more surreal, a little bit more kind of reserved. Okay, God, he gets down on his knees and prays. And sometimes ministry requires getting on the knees and praying. Okay? So he gets on his knees and he prays. Then he turns. I believe he hears from God. I believe God tells him to do this very specific thing. And he had to be obedient to it. So he turns towards Dorcas, this, this woman who's dead. And he says, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. I mean, that must have been like the most intense, surreal moment for Peter. I mean, it's not just glance by this and say, God can do these things, so let's have faith. Let us just really experience what Peter was going through as a man of God. You know, the fear, the, 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 the challenge of his faith, you know, the, the experiencing Holy Spirit and being obedient to what the God was trying to do with him and through him. So he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Interesting thing, and I think this is a part of Peter's experience, because again, you know, we know Peter's not perfect. No one's perfect except for Jesus himself. But if you notice, in a room with a dead body, he wasn't going to touch it, because then he would be made ceremonially unclean. And so notice he didn't touch her until she was alive. Now, okay, now you're alive. I can hold your hand. Again, this kind of, this, this whole thing goes back to the old school, the old Judaism, that Peter still, you know, Paul, hey, he's got to deal with his old Judaistic ways. But Peter too, have to deal with his old Judaistic ways. And, we, and we're going to start to see more and more of this come out in the next few chapters, especially in chapter 10. We're going to see Paul's, Peter's going to get confronted by God with his, the old Judaistic ways. And he has, he's going to be encouraged by God to embrace the new ways that God has set out. So then he called for the believer, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. Again, God doesn't do miracles for the gratification of one person's flesh, to bless their ministry financially, to make a person popular for God. That's not why God does miracles. God does wonderful things like this so that God can be glorified, so that Jesus, in the salvation known, that can be, that can be had through Jesus, and knowing Jesus, you know, is, is, is available to as many people as possible. 
So if people need to know about God, you know about Jesus Christ, God's going to do whatever he can. He can do amazing, wonderful things. Nothing can stop God. And the fact is, this happened so that people all over Joppa may know Jesus, may know God and believe in him. So Peter stayed in Joppa for some time. And here's interesting, with a tanner named Simon. The reason why it's interesting is I almost blew past this, a tanner. This is a person, again, who handles dead bodies all the time. He handles animals, hides animals. So again, that old Judaistic way of being clean and unclean. And we know this is something that Peter struggles with, but he stayed at the home of an unclean person, basically. The reason why I'm saying this is not just pure speculation. It's because we're going to see Peter get, get confronted with this in the next chapter. But also, if you look in the next slide, Peter had an issue with Paul. We talked about Paul, Saul. Well, they have a little conflict a little later on. And I'm going to jump to this conflict that happens in Antioch. By the way, Cephas is another name for, for Peter. Okay? So this is Peter he's speaking of here. So this is Paul here speaking of an account of happened with him and, and Cephas or Peter in Antioch. So it says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I.e., he was in the wrong. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, you know, the unclean ones, the others, the dirty, the dogs. You don't eat with the dogs, you know. But when they arrived, these, these, these guys sent from James, you know, from the, the old school faith, you know, the, the Jews who become Christians, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new work. Peter's stuck in the old way of doing things. He needs to be broken of it. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, remember our buddy Barnabas, son of encouragement, even he was led astray. He was affected. He was, you know what I'm saying? Their, they, their, their, their hypocrisy Poorly affected poor brother Barnabas. Even Mr. Encouragement was led astray. By his, and you see what's happening here? This preferential treatment, this hypocrisy. You see how it's happening? Oh, I can't really eat with you guys anymore. Sorry, guys, you're, you're, you're unclean. I mean, I like you, we're cool. But, but, but because these guys are here and these guys are from the old, you know, the old, the good old days. You see, when I grew up in church, you know, these are the guys I used to look up to. And so I can't really hang out with you no more because I want to hang out with them because they're much cooler. They're much cleaner. They're much, you, know, you get it, don't you guys? It's hypocrisy. There's no distinction. And Jesus, God's going to make this very clear to Peter in the next chapter. Don't call when I make clean, unclean. These Gentiles are made clean. So you see Peter's getting challenged, even like the little small details in the scriptures about these things. And like I said, the next chapter, the next time we meet, we're going to see that Peter's going to get a very specific message from God about how much he loves the Gentile people and how much they are very much so a part of God's kingdom. 